As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray for illumination. Holy One, your word is a lamp to our feet. Give us grace to receive your truth and faith and strength to follow you on the good path you set before us. In Christ, amen. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke. Now every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. God, we are grateful to you for how you meet us in worship, welcoming and accepting us just as we are. So however we come this morning, feeling hopeful or hopeless, weary or well-rested, ready for the week ahead, or perhaps dreading something of it, Surround us with your love and grace and acceptance. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So good morning again to all of you. It is mid-January, there is snow on the ground, and it's very cold. This week, the New York Times ran a little culture piece about January. It was about how there are many subjects out there that have become contentious to argue about, but it is still pretty safe to have a spirited debate about whether you love or hate winter. <laughs> on the minus side, there is, of course, the cold. With it, the darkness, the salt, the slush, the se seasonal affective disorder, and the challenges of being cooped up inside. But of course, there are positives as well. The snow has its own beauty, even if you're just looking at it through the window. And out there, kids are making snow angels and laughing their way down the sled-riding hill. 
It always makes me smile that even teenagers seem to have an innate sense that helping a six-year-old back up the hill is just the right thing to do. Back at home, there's usually a cup of hot cocoa and maybe a warm fire waiting for you. But why am I telling you this? Why am I starting this way? Well, it's a simple example of something our Christian tradition means to help with. Life is full of the good mixed with the bad. Triumphs mixed with struggles, despair mixed with hope. And we are constantly pushed and pulled between these things. And in many ways that are much more significant than whether or not you find joy in January, it can be hard to find your way. You have probably heard that Christian theology describes Jesus as fully human and fully divine. And I imagine that among you, there are some that find that to be fascinating scholarship, and there are others of you that find it to be pointless academic drivel. And this morning, I'm going to argue on this point of navigating despair and hope in life, that it is this idea of a Christ as human and divine that has a practical component for us. It is supposed to help us explain and navigate the tension in the world between the good and the bad. And in doing so, in struggling with this throughout a life, we become more fully human and more fully divine ourselves. And this morning, during our current sermon series on Becoming Jesus, we are going to look back at a story from Jesus' childhood and ask what that story teaches us about what it means to be fully human and fully divine. So, the Bible story, the one we heard this morning, it begins with a scenario familiar to most parents. It is about a mom and dad who lose track of their kid. As the story goes, each year at the time of the Passover festival, Mary and Joseph travel to Jerusalem for the celebration. Jesus goes along with them. When Jesus is 12 years old, they make this trip per usual. And on their way back, they discover that Jesus is missing. Now I know, at first, this sounds hard to believe, or just like really, really bad parenting. So, consider for a moment, when faced with this story about ancient history, how different childhood was just one generation ago. I remember age 12. I would often leave the house after breakfast, basketball in hand, on foot or on a bike, no helmet, unsure to whose backyard or woods I was headed. No water bottle, no snacks, no money or cell phone in my pocket, with little likelihood that I would return any time before dinner. Many of you probably remember something similar. Imagine what the other Hyde Park parents would say in 2024. <laughs> so, with that out of the way, here we have Jesus and his family on a journey from their home in the village of Nazareth up to Jerusalem for the biggest Jewish festival of the year. And on that trip, Jesus enjoyed some independence. 
They would have traveled in a large caravan from their village community, for the roads were not safe for small groups, but a village could go together. Everyone from the village knew each other. That was the way that they traveled. And on the way back, we imagine that Mary at some point says to Joseph, where has Jesus gone? And perhaps Joseph answers, oh, I don't know. He's out there in front somewhere with the Schwartzes. And someone overhears that and says, no, 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 no. I saw Jesus. He's in the back of the caravan. He's with the Bernsteins. And... At some point, they discover that he's in neither one of those places. And like a modern family in the aisles of a Target store, they have to double back to Jerusalem and look for their lost kid. So, after looking in all of the obvious places to find a lost child, they finally stumble upon Jesus in the temple. And there he is amazing the rabbis with his depth of questions and curiosities. Now, I don't know about any of you, but when I heard that story in Sunday school as a child, I could only imagine it one way. This was a miraculous, godlike prodigy, a kid who knew everything. And when Mary and Joseph found him, he was not only unpacking the mysteries of eternal life, but he was probably also teaching them advanced calculus and translating the works of Aristotle into Mandarin. <laughs> this was the all-knowing God in the form of a little boy. There's a sense in which the story reads that way. We are told that Mary and Joseph are amazed to find Jesus in the temple with the rabbis, and that when he says to mom and dad, did you not know that I would be in my father's house? that they don't seem to understand. It sounds an awful lot like this kid was God. But here's the thing. The story ends with another line, a line that I didn't think much about until I read it in seminary. The last verse of today's scripture reads that after these things, the family returned home and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years that he grew and increased in wisdom. And that means that clearly there was no calculus or translating to Mandarin and probably no great secrets of eternal life either. Jesus was no doubt precocious and special in childhood and adulthood alike, but also he was human. His unusual wisdom was held in balance with the fact that he had to grow and increase in wisdom to mature just like the rest of us. So throughout his life, Jesus is showing us how to navigate this reality in which we all find ourselves, that in each and every one of us there are seeds of wisdom, goodness, and divinity these seeds are ready to grow and increase and help us to live fuller and more faithful lives. And at the very same time, we struggle with all of the natural limitations of human life. These limitations come in many forms. Sometimes we call them pride or greed or impatience, biology or immaturity or just plain making a mistake. 
And there are a thousand different ways in which these human limitations shape who we are and always will. And until we come, ter come to terms with those limitations and make our peace with them, we will never be fully human. And the great challenge of faith is trying to grow that seed of divinity even as we learn to live with our humanity. And that is what the theologians are getting at when they say it matters to know that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. Sometimes life seems very difficult to figure out but Jesus shows us that with God's help, we can make some sense of it. The human limitations and the calling toward holiness can both be a part of who we are. I began with the trivial matter of whether or not one likes January, but this kind of wisdom applies to weightier matters as well. Faith is meant to help us navigate many of the despair and hopeful aspects of life. What is more, wisdom similar to this is found in many of the world's great religions. Because sometimes we hear wisdom from our own tradition more clearly when it is expressed through a fresh perspective. This morning I'm going to share another example of this, one that comes from Sikh tradition. So I was recently blessed to learn from a Sikh scholar and teacher, a man by the name of Simran Jeet Singh. His is the religion that began in the Punjab region of Asia. Sikhi, or Sikhism as Westerners often call it, is the world's ninth largest religion. And it is a religion of a peaceful people who have often found themselves victims of great violence and oppression. Forcibly relocated into that volatile part of the world in between India and Pakistan, tens of thousands of modern Sikhs have been the victims of extrajudicial government-led killings which ended in mass graves. And most of this has happened with little notice from the Western media that often focuses on other places, usually where there is oil at stake. It is not unlike the quest that Christians might describe to look at the ways that Sikhs have learned to navigate the despair and hope that is a part of life. Six like some Simran have had to figure out how to both navigate or advocate for the plight of their people while also seeking each day to live joyous lives as best they can in a broken world. It is not totally different than the quest Christians might describe as the, tr the struggle between human and divine. And the wisdom of their tradition has something to say about it as well. Simran Jeet Singh, a joyful author and speaker, writes about the overwhelming challenges we all know so well about what it's like to live in the world. 
He notes that sometimes in this world it feels like the world is falling apart all around us. We see suffering and injustice everywhere we look. Climate change, lack of health care access, gender inequities, racial injustice, widespread corruption, mass incarceration, voter suppression. The list is endless. It may include places for you, like Israel and Palestine, Ukraine, the U.S.-Mexico border, Punjab. Simran notes that our soulful compassion, which his tradition calls Hamdard, our soulful compassion makes us want to act in the face of all these things, but being inundated with endless concerns also leaves us feeling paralyzed. And he adds that we live in a culture of performative outrage that makes us feel like imposters if we don't try to fix everything, or at least pretend like we're doing so. On this subject, Simran relates a Punjabi parable. According to that parable, on the day when the sun began to set for the very first time, people feared that darkness would cover the land and remain forever. But one hopeful lantern in a small hut lifted its wick to challenge the darkness. And soon others joined it and watched in amazement as the many little lanterns illuminated the earth, preventing the mask of darkness from taking over. Commenting on that parable, Simran writes of a way that Sikhi wisdom engages with the world in a different way than we might expect. It is about the oneness and interconnectedness of the world, and it involves something they call Siva. Siva demands humility, disabusing us of our desire to bear the weight of the entire world on our own shoulders. We cannot fix all of the problems or expect others to always do the right thing, but through the interconnectedness of Sikhi teaching, we can work for good in the ways that are within our power. And if we do this with joy, in ways that bear light into the world, like that little lantern in the parable, our light might be an inspiration to others as well. The Bible says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. That's how the wisdom of our own tradition describes the early days of the life of Jesus. He was fully human and subject to the limitations and difficulties we all must face. And he was fully divine, called to be a light to the world. And throughout his life, he grew and increased in wisdom. This is one of the ways we see him becoming Jesus. 
And it is not just a story about his life, but about a way of life into which every one of us is called as we navigate the troubles and joys of this world. Thanks be to God. Amen.